0: Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray for your spirit to be here with us. Thank you for the way you bless and for what I'm certain was an amazing, uh, an amazing job by the choir today and by everyone involved. And Lord, I pray now that uh, our hearts will be open to hear your word and that we will, we will be inspired and enabled to grow up by your spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. So we start with the text, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, and this is kind of where we ended last week, but the first words are, love never fails, and we could probably put a period there and go home, because that's a huge thing to understand and know. But I want to develop this, and we want to get further into this, and besides, we're going to talk about love uh, a little later on. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. So we talked last Sabbath about the things that pass away and the things that remain. And some of the things that get put into the list of things that pass away are pretty amazing and pretty important things. Prophecy, very important thing, yet it's in the list of things that passes away. Knowledge, pretty important thing, yet it's in the list. It's not in the list of the things that's the core. We're going to take this idea a little further today. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 9. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part will dis- part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. So what I think Paul is trying to tell us here, he's talking about partial knowing. And and what I want us to be clear on at this point is that there is not a single one of us, you or me or even anybody in the choir, who understands everything about God perfectly. We all have partial knowledge. Now this should be A humbling element for us the next time we find ourselves in a very vocal debate with someone whose partial knowledge is clearly inferior to our own. We need to all humble ourselves and remember none of us has full understanding. We don't know everything and as we grow in understanding sometimes things, things that seemed really important when we were starting out, we look back on them and they just don't seem quite so important from that new perspective. I'll give you a simple little example here. When a child is very young, we tell them, never touch the stove. When a child has grown, We hope they know how to cook dinner on a stove. (laughs) Do you see the difference? Very important at this point that they don't touch it ever. Very important at this point they know how to use it. That's called growing up. And we're supposed to do that in our faith. See, there are things that remain and things that pass away. Never touch the stove passes away. So he says, when I was a child, I did these things, but I have laid off childish things. And you may be thinking in your mind, but wait a minute now. What about the words of Jesus? How did the words of Jesus square with the words of Paul? Matthew 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like like little children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So on one hand, we have Paul talking about putting away childish things, but then we have Jesus seemingly telling us we need to become like children. So which is it? Well, I believe it comes down to what Paul means by putting away childish things and growing up. And we need to understand what Paul means in in the context Of where that statement appears in what he's saying. And the context in which he talks about putting away childish things is the context in which he's talking about things that pass away and things that remain. He is referring to things that pass away using an illustration here, kind of like when you grow up some of those things pass away but there are other things that remain. So it seems to me what Paul is saying is that growing up means moving on from a fixation on the beginning issues, foundational as though they may be, to a focus of what can we build on this foundation. Now, I'll give you a perfect example of this. Right outside those doors, right over there, is a building project going on where everything is torn up. And the reason it's all torn up is because right now they're putting in the foundation. And we really want them to do a very good job with this, right? It is critical to get the foundation right. But if all we ever do forever in this project is lay the foundation, if a year from now it's still completely torn up and we're still laying the foundation, let me tell you what. We have really wasted a lot of time, and a lot of energy, and a lot of property, and a lot of money. Yet some people seem to think it's a virtue to never actually build a house of faith, but instead forever live in the arguments about the foundation. 1 Corinthians 13.1, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And so you understand what I'm talking about. The most important part about the verse I just read you is not what it means to speak in the tongues of men or angels. The most important part of that verse is to make sure whatever that means, you don't do it without love. But if you spend your whole life arguing about what it means to speak in the tongues of men and angels, you'll completely miss the point of the verse, which is saying, don't do it, without love. And I'll bet you if you're arguing about what it means, you're not doing it with love. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Now it's very easy for all of us to agree in theory with this saying that there are those who never seem to move on from the milk. But here's the thing we love to do to show that we miss the point. We take this passage and then anybody who is fixated on something we don't like, beat them over the head with it and say, why are you still on milk? Why can't you move on to the solid food like me? I want you to listen to what the author of Hebrews is referring to as milk. Hebrews 6 verse 1. This this comes immediately after, therefore let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation, you hear this imagery here, of repentance from acts that lead to death of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. So the author of Hebrews is calling these things the foundational elementary teachings. And I can't help but shudder a bit at this list when I consider all of the time we spend on these things. For example, as a people, We haven't even figured out who we can lay our hands on yet. We're caught fussing over the foundation. Now, the author is not saying these things are unimportant. In fact, he refers to them as the foundation. The foundation matters. But that's the point. How long will we continue to fuss over the foundation and never actually get around to building the children's wing? So I want to give you an example of this from my life about fussing over the wrong thing and never actually getting about building what you want to build. This may have come as some surprise to you, but I haven't always been the perfect father, an ideal spiritual mentor to my children, one of whom is here. Let me give you context for what happened. I do not consider myself a true theologian in the classic sense. However, there aren't too many in this congregation, I don't think, to whom theology matters more than it does to me just ask the church staff about worship time at staff meeting. It's not typically a lovely little kumbaya moment. I would far rather wrestle with obscurities. And one value I have always had is that it is my duty as a father and a spiritual leader to make sure anything that Alicia and I teach our children at worship that it is theologically sound. Now having said that, let me reveal to you how serious I am on this point. By saying theologically sound, I don't mean that it's doctrinaire in that everything we say must perfectly align with some most recently voted list of fundamentals. For to do that would be to subject my conscience and my personal responsibility to think about the things of God for myself to what can sometimes be the fickle process of a voting majority. Okay, the fact that a group votes something is not what makes it true. The fact that it's true is what makes it true. And we all must pursue truth. Yes, having things like fundamental beliefs are good as guidelines, but they must be willingly agreed to and never institutionally demanded and enforced. Now I'm not saying anything goes. But I am saying we must be always vigilant against the dangers of spiritual tyranny by means of creeping creedalism. And just the fact that in trying to tell you a story about family worship, I have felt compelled to say these things as a preface, ought to cause you to feel genuine sympathy for both my children and the pastoral staff, whenever we have a discussion, and by all means, pray for Alicia. (laughs) But I digress, and that's one of the things I do best. The point is, theology matters to me, and in the context of this particular time, it was my opinion and an opinion that seemed very important to me at the time. It was my opinion that the theology in the book that Alicia was reading, while not necessarily fatally flawed, was at least desperately under nuanced and woefully simplistic. Never mind that Ariel was enjoying it and listening attentively. That hardly seemed relevant to me that night. Are you beginning to sense this story doesn't end well? Starting to see that. At length, when my sighs, my disapproving looks, and my occasional guttural objections were not providing me a chance to set things straight and expose the spiritual immaturity of the author, I created for myself the chance to show mine. And by that I mean my spiritual immaturity. That's what I showed. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm not a very good father. I finally broke into the reading and forcefully objected to the manner in which the author, without aptitude or sophistication, helplessly and tragically mishandled yet another minor point." Minor point. So Alicia was pretty tired of my foolishness by now and responded in a manner I deserved, But not necessarily a manner that soothed my deeply offended theological sensibilities." You know what I'm talking about, yeah. And with that response, I was off on what might be graciously called a righteous rant, in which I clearly demonstrated with the sharpness it deserved just how flawed this book really was. And just as I was reaching the climax, of my brilliant, spontaneous, absolutely on point book review of condemnation. Just as I was getting there, it happened. Ariel started to cry. That's what we're going for, right? Family worship, make the children cry. That's really building them up, right? That's the foundation we're laying, right? I had and I have a strong desire to lay a proper theological foundation for my children. But is that what I was doing in that moment? Well, I'll say this for that moment. I certainly had, in that moment, become as a child, but not the kind of child Jesus had in mind, right? I'd become a little bit more like Paul's child. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So here's the question. Are you growing up, or do you keep laying the same foundations again and again and again? Now don't misunderstand. I'm not saying the foundation isn't important. Without the right foundation, the house will never stand. But at some point the day comes when you need to start building the house. So what does the house look like? Verse 13, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. You have begun to grow up in Christ when you have left behind the ranting and the raving, The compromising and the conniving, the abusing and the accusing, and moved on to perfecting faith, hope, and love in your life. Now again, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying, and neither is Paul, that many other things like theology, practice, structure, and process are unimportant. In fact, Paul dedicated almost the entirety of 1 Corinthians 2, theology, practice, structure, and process. And as for me personally, I will never not care about rigorous theology. I can't not care. It's who I am. But if I let rigorous theology be the core of my faith, I will be insufferable. And it won't just be Ariel that cries. I can't make it the center of my Christian purpose because, as I mentioned before, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, what am I? Nothing. So here's the point I want you to see today. This is what I want you to understand. The more you grow as a believer, the more you will realize all of this is about faith and hope and love. And even if you get everything else right, you won't, but let's for fun just pretend you get everything else right, If you get faith and hope and love wrong, you've got nothing. Now, just because faith, hope, and love are short and seemingly simple words, don't think for a moment that what they mean and demand from us is simple. Far from it. The truth is, it is far easier to argue theology or to parade around like spiritual birds of paradise, all show and feathers, it is far easier to do that than it is to live in faith and hope and love. Now, starting next Sabbath, we will spend three Sabbaths on each of these. Three Sabbaths on faith, three on hope, three on love. And when we're done with it, we will have merely scratched the surface. This is the week that the groups start. I mentioned that already. The studies are written up. There's hard copies in the lobbies. You can also go to the church webpage and find it there. But I want, as we finish, to close a loop here, to come full circle, to connect Paul's words and Jesus' words. Paul said, we will grow up in the faith, and when we do so, we will put away childish things, such as, I don't know, maybe making your daughter cry at worship over minor theological points. That'd be nice if we could put that away, wouldn't it? Yeah, let's go for that. And what does Paul say we will grow into when we have put those things away? He says we will grow into faith and into hope and into love. And here is the place where, if we think about it, I believe we find ourselves right back at what Jesus said. Matthew 18, verse 3. Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, I don't think this is in opposition to what Paul is saying, but rather a different way of making the same point. For what better describes a child's attitude towards a parent than faith, hope, and love. children look to us in faith that we're going to supply their needs and will continue to do so until we finally convince them otherwise and they will always hope in us in confidence that they can rely on us again as long as we don't teach them they can't and they love us period even when we make them cry at worship. Now it doesn't always play out well over time. And sometimes it doesn't play out well and it's not even our fault as parents. But children always have an intensity of emotion towards parents. It may take a lot of forms. It may be closeness. It may take the form of hurt or anger. It may even take the form of disconnection. But you don't disconnect from something you don't care about. The emotion is always strong. So here's where I think it comes together. To spiritually grow up is to put our full faith and our full hope in God. And then to love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our mind and with all our strength. This fall we get another chance to grow up. May God grant mercy that we will grow. Let's pray. Father in heaven, We want to grow up, and we want to leave behind the foolishness, not not leaving behind the foundation, but just the foolishness of childish ways. And what you're telling us here, I believe, is that mature faith looks like someone filled with faith, filled with hope, and filled with love. That's what we're going to go for. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.